Oh, did I catch you singing along to that song? Hey, welcome to How's It Growing, your weekly garden connection only here at KZUM Lincoln. That's uh, well, Nebraska's own Brad Colrick. Uh, no longer resides in Nebraska, but uh, heck of a songwriter. Brad Colrick, Sweet Corn. It is that time of year. Happy summer to you. Thanks for tuning in to How's It Growing every Wednesday, 11 till noon, right here on KZUM Lincoln. Hi, I'm Bob Hendrickson with the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. And I hopefully you heard that announcement this Saturday. I am hosting a nature walk at three different locations. So uh, hope you can join us and uh, pack a picnic and have lunch with us at Union Plaza at noon and uh, share your bounty, uh, share your food, or just pack a lunch for yourself, whatever works. Anyway, we're going to be meeting at three different locations. The first location is at the Pioneers Park Nature Center. We'll meet in the Prairie Building there at uh, 9 a.m., and then at 10 a.m., and you don't have to go to all three of them. You can meet us at wherever. At 10 a.m., we'll be at Beatty Elementary. And Karen Cresswell is a volunteer extraordinaire that has done a lot of plantings there at Beatty Elementary. Every school should have a garden, and Beatty has an awesome garden. So hope you can join us for that to be inspired for other schools around town to do the same great work that Beatty Elementary is doing. And then we'll top it off with Assurity Life Building, the Assurity Building off there at uh, 21st and Q. Um, anyway, they have a, a heck of a landscape, native landscaping, not all native, but uh, most of it. And uh, Kinghorn Gardens in Omaha manages that property. And Dan Moore is going to meet us there to give us a tour of that at 11 a.m. So join us this Saturday. You can go to plantnebraska.org. Click on the calendars page for more information about where do I go, how do I do this, just check it out at plantnebraska.org under the calendar page. All right, hope you can make it on Saturday. All right, we got a great show lined up for you today. I have Ray Powers on the phone. I believe this is Ray. Hi, Ray. How are you? That's me. Good morning, Bob. Yay. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I figured it would be you. That's why it's like, well, we have this caller ID thing, and it just says wireless caller. It didn't identify you, but I figured it would be you. Well, thanks for joining me today, Ray. How's life treating you right now? Pretty good. Can't <laughs> I complain. Don't know how much I'm loving the extreme heat of the last few days in June, um, but <laughs> right. Um, I'll, I guess. I guess I'll take it. We'll take it. And uh, there is a chance of rain in the forecast, too. I think we're getting kind of spoiled with these, you know, recent rains. And uh, everybody's kind of saying, well, it's getting a little dry. It's like, yeah, right. Try being in certain areas of Nebraska where they haven't really gotten any rain this spring. I don't know exactly where they're at, but uh, I know they're out there and we're still borderline drought for, for much of the state, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think we were in drought persist for most, most of the state. <laughs> right, and about the the most open winter we've ever had uh, in history, at, at least in Lincoln. Uh, I think we had like three and a half inches of snow over the whole winter, which is just like a trip to think about, but I, it could always be worse. Well, we're Ray, um, so folks, Ray is with the Xerce Society, and she's the Farm Bill uh, Pollinator Conservation Planner. And You have a longer title than me, Ray, and then you're also with the NRCS as a partner biologist. Did I get all that right? Yeah, yeah, it's quite lengthy. <laughs> I do, do a number of jobs, wear a number of hats for a couple organizations, so it ends up being a lot of work. Well, that's cool. Well, I invited you on the show today to, uh, well, to really to celebrate National Pollinator Week, folks. We are in the midst of that right now, and happy summer to you, Ray, as the summer solstice, the longest uh, night of the year was last night, which is... Now it's kind of a it's kind of a bittersweet time because now the days are going to start to get slowly but surely shorter. Of course, we're not going to notice as people until late August. Then we'll start going. Okay, wait a minute. It's getting dark too early. I don't like this. Yeah, all the way until what uh, December twenty one when it gets dark at like five ten p.m. What a trip. It's just weird every year uh, for at least me. So National Pollinator Week, do you guys do anything with Xerces Society to, to celebrate National Pollinator Week? I guess I'll start off with that question. Yeah, certainly um, nationally, we definitely do. We've got staff all over the country and a number of events happening. Um, this year, locally, I don't think we've got anything on the calendar for um, Lincoln, Omaha, but I think there's a series of webinars happen happening with Thursdays online, um, and we're posting on social media about Pollinator Week and fun facts and our favorite pollinators. 
Um, so lots going on, just a, a kind of a quiet year here in Lincoln, um, but lots going on elsewhere. Yeah, I don't know if you heard, uh, I'm, I'm going to be hosting a nature hike on Saturday. We're going to be checking out three different uh, prairie-style landscapes at uh, Pioneers Park Nature Center and then Beatty Elementary and then the Surety Life oh, Building. Nice. So looking forward to that. Hopefully uh, some of you folks will show up and be inspired by the landscapes that uh, some great people have created uh, for all of us to enjoy. And... Uh, you know, Ray, uh, you sent me a great list of questions here, awesome questions. And, uh, you know, I was thinking this last night when Pat and I were sitting out back and, you know, it's towards dusk and the fireflies are kind of doing their thing all over the place. And I thought, wow, we should take a video of this. And, you know, it doesn't come out quite the same when you try to videotape it, right, <laughs> of fireflies. But it is what it is. But it got me thinking, you know, um, the way we landscape at our house, you know, I have a lot of shade trees, a lot of just a lot of green right now. And all those leaves that drop off all those plants, I'm proud to say, never leave my property. Um, they're basically, you know, put in... Uh, you know, I just blow them off the lawn area into my beds, which I have a lot of, and all of it becomes leaf litter. And that leaf litter I'm doing for a reason. And it's, it's something to overcome, people, I must say, you know, um, not cleaning up completely. You got to kind of like just say, hey, you know, you live in the woods <laughs> is what attitude you need to have. Anyway, the fireflies were just all over the place in our yard. And then Looking across the street, uh, elsewhere, I didn't see hardly any fireflies. So they, they, I kind of feel like we provided some great habitat, almost a, a place for them to, to still be. <laughs> and so it kind of made me think, well, if I have a lot of fireflies in the landscape, that must mean we're doing something right uh, for our pollinators versus uh, a conventional lawn. Why are conventional lawns the worst for our pollinating insects? <laughs> right. That was how I phrased the question, y'all. <laughs> Why are conventional yards the worst? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh man, I just feel like yards are the biggest scam ever. Um, you've got this the small property that you're living on with your family, and in all that space that your house isn't on, you're growing a monoculture of one non-native species. Um, and for us, that is usually Kentucky bluegrass. Um, in this region of the world, and it's a non-native, cool-season grass. Um, and I'm emphasizing that non-native part because that means that our native pollinators, our butterflies and cat, our butterflies and moths and bees, um, didn't evolve with this plant species. So, um, moths and butterflies in their their caterpillar stage and their larval stage eat plants. Um, and some of them are really specific. Most of them are pretty specific to a single species of plant or a group of plants. Um, and Kentucky bluegrass is, is not a host plant for any of our moths and butterflies here in Nebraska. So you're sort of missing out on um, checking that box for some of our native pollinators. Additionally, the, the grass flowers are not providing nectar pollen resources to many of our pollinators. Um, and also that sort of fatty quality that Kentucky bluegrass has um, doesn't provide great shelter for most insects. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a bunch grass. It's not, it doesn't have any bare ground for insects to access that ground. So um, just really not a fan of the yard space. <laughs> um, although I do, I get it. You know, it's nice to, to run around on and nice and soft. Um, but I think we can, we can do better. Yeah, I agree, you know, and, and we're not saying you don't need any lawn. The way I look at it is lawn is the place where I entertain, <laughs> where I'm going to put a table if I have people over, and lawn is for places like uh, to have a path from point A to point B to get to my garden. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, yeah. you can have a wood chip path, but uh, it's nice walking barefoot on a, on a lawn getting from garden to garden and so yeah use that attitude and then heck you didn't even mention the fact that we we have to mow it once a week you know and oftentimes yeah. people are putting <laughs> down herbicides and they're putting down pesticides and and there's all that stuff that costs you money and uh, last time i checked all of us love songbirds we want more of them and and folks if you're listening yeah. to the show you know songbirds are declining their numbers are declining as well just like our insect populations are declining and we're talking about pollinating insects uh, not mosquitoes and flies we're not talking about that people we're talking about the the stuff that we can't live without 
Uh, if they're gone, you can kiss our humanity goodbye. Uh, you know, you can even leave global warming out of this because, uh, you know, the, the, the planet with global warming, the way I look at it is, you know, the planet's going to be fine if it wipes us humans out. It'll kind of burp and say, you know, I've been through volcanoes. I've been through a lot of stuff. Once you humans are gone, I'll be back to normal. <laughs> but uh, right now with you humans here, you're making my life a little tough. And so, you know, if we want more songbirds, we got to have those host plants, right, Ray? Yep, yeah, the the larvae and caterpillars of many of our insect species are critical food sources for many of our songbirds and grassland birds and comprising, you know, 80% of the diet for some of those young birds. So we really need to support our insects in order to support our birds and, you know, just sort of moving up the ladder of the food chain and supporting that wildlife that we all love to see. That's right. So, you know, one of the questions, too, I want you to address is, is some alternatives to monoculture lawn. But first, I just want to say, if you do have a lawn, you know, don't be so uh, intent on watering it five times a week using pesticides and herbicides. A few weeds are not a bad thing because you know, dandelions in the spring, we've got clover right now blooming. Uh, people have ground ivy and, and they're just trying to, you know, pulling out their hair, trying to make sure they get rid of all these weeds so they just have a pristine looking lawn. Just kind of back off a little bit and le let your lawn have a few weeds. It's not the end of the world. Of course, you don't want to make your neighbors mad and give you a frown across the street, but uh, don't sweat it so much, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's sort of the easiest, that's sort of step one <laughs> right. on the rungs of, you know, converting your yard is um, stop watering it. It's sort of my first one, um, as well as, as herbicide. If you stop watering your yard and you stop spraying out your dandelions and um, clover and uh, violets that come in, you so, sort of naturally allow a little bit more plant diversity to happen in your space. Um in, in my yard, I do have ground ivy in parts of it, which, you know, it's not, it's non-native. It's not my favorite plant, but right. um, I, I don't see it as something that's worse than grass. Because uh, it flowers, it does provide some pollen and nectar resources. It smells pretty good. Um, and then I've got a lot of our um, native violets that come up. Mm -hmm. um, they're pretty disturbance-loving, so it's uh, Viola sororia. Um, I think it's just common violet. Yeah. Uh, that comes up really heavily, and I love that in my front yard because it puts on this beautiful display of purple and white flowers in the spring, and the leaves don't grow very tall, and so the places where I have a lot of violets, I almost never have to mow. <laughs> right. So let the, let the violets come into your yard. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and then people battle those things, you know, love them or hate them. I have people that just hate them uh, because they, they claim they take over their world and then others that love them. And I remember having just a ton of violets at my place, never did anything about them, welcomed them. And then over the years, they just kind of, now I just have them here and there. They've been outcompeted by some of my other plants, you know. Sure, they'll maybe outcompete your turf grass and, and maybe some things in the shadier nooks of your yard. But uh, if you saw... Is it the regal fritillary that is the host? It's the host plant for the, all the fritillaries, something like that. But just Google images of that butterfly and you'll say, oh, well, geez, maybe I shouldn't get rid of this because I want more of that butterfly around. The, the regal fritillary puts the monarch to shame. I shouldn't say that, but the monarch gets all the attention. <laughs> but but I think every everybody's like, you know, everybody knows what the monarch eats now. And, and thank goodness for that that program where we're, we're talking about, you yeah. know, milkweed is a good thing. But now I would challenge everybody to say, well, what about some of these other butterflies? What do they eat? You know, what does the, uh, the um, oh, the painted lady eat, for example? What does the uh, uh, morning cloak eat? What does the uh, buckeye eat? What does the, you know, um, uh, tawny emperor eat? On and on. Um, you know, learn those host plants. And then you know you're doing it right by, by seeking out those host plants and planting them in your landscape, right? Yeah, I mean, and I sort of take it one step above that and say, you don't even have to know that. If you're putting um, plants that are native to your region into your space, you're supporting butterflies and moths. Um, you can certainly go and look up which, uh, which species feed on those plants, but if you're using a native plant, you're almost certainly supporting some species. That's a good way to put it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. And, make uh, it easy. Make it easy. <laughs> it's fun. 
fun. And that's sort of the next level. Once you start putting natives onto your landscape, you know, you enjoy the flower at first and how they look, and then you sort of delve deeper into those um, interactions of things that are going on in your yard. And you might even see some of those interactions, and that's just my favorite part of having um, native plants in the landscape. No doubt. So um, is there other reasons why I should include native plants in my landscape? You know, we talked about uh, it benefiting. Is there something like with the root system or just uh, lack of water or, or what's other benefits that you could tell our listeners about? Well, sort of tagging on to those interactions, I think you're just supporting ecology in your own little spot in, in the city even um, or the countryside, which is just really cool to witness, um, especially if you have kids, it's really cool to talk about different things. If you see, you know, um, lady beetle larvae feeding on aphids and talking about that interaction. Um, so I think that's one of the huge wins for me. Um, and it really does provide a lot of those things that are lacking in our, you know, conventional yard spaces. So the host plants that we've talked about, you're providing nectar and pollen for pollinators. Um, you're providing some structure in your space if you've got native plants, which will be used as nesting and overwintering sites for um, not only insects, but uh, small mammals and birds. Um, and really, you do need less input. Um, less water is going to be used in your landscape through time. Um, you probably will use much less herbicide. Hopefully you can put your mower away a lot more. Right. <laughs> uh, especially with the price of gas right now. Yes. Uh, also, I think native plants are just beautiful. Yes. Um, and they have a variety of colors and shapes. I mean, there's just a huge diversity of options. No doubt. And, uh, you know, in addition to the root systems that come with these native plants are robust. And uh, compare that to the root system of turf grass, especially somebody that's watering three to four to five times a week. The root system never has to travel too deeply uh, because the water's right there for it. So you get a very shallow root system and with prairie plants, people, and native plants, man, their robust roots go way into the ground. And, uh, and, and research has shown that up to a third of that root system dies every year and then regrows the following year. So you're basically building organic matter in the soil. But more importantly, when we get those four-inch downpours, uh, the rain stays on your property. It doesn't run off. And research has also shown if you have turf grass and a heavy rain, uh, up to 80% or higher will run off that, especially if it's compacted soil. And if you're mowing it once a week, uh, year in and year out, that soil is compacted, right? Just, just walk across your lawn, you'll feel how hard it is. And then when, so when you get a heavy rain, it just runs right off and into the gutter. And, you know, we're trying to keep less water into our stormwater uh, system and uh, keep it on your property by building rain gardens and rain barrels. Well, heck, if you have native plants, just, just, just kind of go out there and maybe dance in the rain a little bit if you want, if it's a nice warm day, you know. Do you miss doing that when you, you know, we all did that when we were kids, right, Ray? Uh, you know, we had no problem running out during a pouring rain. I remember playing in the street gutters and whatnot, putting little little boats in there and watching them go down. But do we do that as adults? I think we need to get out during a rainstorm and just view what it's, what's going on in your property. Um, is it running off? Is it staying on there? And what can you do to keep it? Uh, from running off and take advantage of a four-inch rain rather than most of it leaving your property. Yeah, and I think there's there's a reason that um, the the Great Plains and Midwest is sort of the breadbasket of the country, and you know is doing lots of row crop farming. And when we tilled those prairies over, that soil was incredibly fertile, um, and we're losing a lot of that soil health and fertility through time. But um, Definitely. That's a, that's a resource we don't often think about in our own spaces. Yeah, no doubt. Rebuilding the soil by creating organic matter, you know, do your part. And uh, because oftentimes, especially in new developments, people, they've, they peeled away that topsoil, topsoil and left you with that subsoil gunk that you're trying to garden in, which is, <laughs> it's not you. Believe you and me, you don't have a brown thumb. It's the soil you're trying to garden in. <laughs> that's what's giving you the brown thumb. That's for sure. Okay, so... Um, so so which native plants should I use then? I mean, there's there's lots of different native plants, and I think it can get overwhelming for people when, they, when they're when actually kind of looking, okay, I want to so-called go native. 
where the heck do I begin, uh, you know, by choosing those plants? What kind of plants should I choose? Yeah, I mean, from a pollinator perspective, things that are regionally native um, are ideal. And um, here's a, a fun assignment if you want to start with native plants in your yard. Uh, go to a prairie in your area and see what's growing there. Uh, so for us here in Lincoln, we've got some you know, wonderful options around town for native prairie sites. We've got the Prairie Corridor coming near town. We've got Spring Creek Prairie. We've got Nine Mile Prairie. Um, that would be my, <laughs> I would assign everyone that task to go out um, and see what's in the prairies in your area and um, what type of plants are growing. Um, and then find plants um, from growers in our area, um, preferably pesticide-free, so we're not passing any of those pesticides into the pond and onto our bees. Um, and then really selecting native plant species that have different bloom times. So having those flowers blooming throughout the year is not only lovely for us to look at, but critically important for supporting all of those pollinators bees, wasps, flies, moths, and butterflies um, throughout the whole year. And I think what's, what's fun about the, the diversity of native plants is that you can really sort of match your desires with native plants. Do you want things that are all under two feet tall? Do you want things that are, you know, pretty bunchy and tidy and don't sprawl? Um, or alternatively, do you have a big space that you need to fill in? You want something aggressive like sunflowers that will fill in or a nice ground cover like Canada anemone that'll, you know, fill in through time. So just think there's a lot of options that you can pick. And I also feel like our community has a great wealth of resources of folks like you and I, Bob, who love native plants and would love to talk to homeowners about what natives to include in their landscape. That's right. And, uh, you know, as far as resources, I'm glad you mentioned that, like the Xerces Society, you can literally go to the website and type in where you're located, right? And then and then you can get a, a list of recommended plants for your area, right? Right from your site. Yeah, Xerces has sort of regional pollinator plant lists. Um, those are going through an overhaul right now. They'll, they'll be bigger soon. Um, I think you're probably thinking of, I, I believe it's Audubon or the Wildlife Federation that hosts the, where okay. you just type in your zip code and it comes out with a list of native plants, which is, you know, wonderful. Cool, cool. Yeah, and I can tout the uh, statewide arboretum at plantnebraska.org. Uh, you can get some great plant lists there. And again, once you get the list, you might be overwhelmed. Well, geez, there's like 50 different plants on here. Which ones do I want? Well, you're just going to have to do a little research, right? And uh, and check it out and say, you know, I would say if you get a list of 50 plants and you can't make up your mind, do three spring, spring bloomers, three summer bloomers, and three fall bloomers, you know, and go for that. And then and don't sweat the height thing so much. You know, of course, read up on it. Is this plant aggressive? And what we mean by aggressive, Ray, you had mentioned the Canada anemone, um, you know, awesome plant, but, you know, it comes with a, a, a caution. It is aggressive. And, but maybe you want that in a large space. Maybe you don't want to have to mess with that. And what I tend to do with those aggressive plants is I'll plant them next to another aggressive plant and just let them duke it out. And, uh, you <laughs> duke know, it out. <laughs> you know, you can run, you can, uh, you can occupy that soil space. And then if you get to a certain point, say it, it occupies five by five feet, well, then it's going to run into another aggressive plant. And the other plant says, sorry, dude, you ain't going any further than this. That's all the further you get to go because this is my space. And then you never have to weed. You never have to water. You never have to mow. I don't want to call it lazy gardening, but it's enjoyable gardening, <laughs> right? Uh, because then you can go out, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be known as a lazy gardener or anything, but it's pretty satisfying when you go out there to look for weeds to pull and you can't really find any to pull because, and then you can, I say, well, what am I going to do? I'm just going to look for bugs. I'm going to look for, for fun. Like last <laughs> night I saw an assassin bug on my, uh, uh, on my black current and spaced off going to get a picture of him because I was, you know, busy doing stuff. I was uh, basically watering. You know, we got that heavy rain, and then I have a vegetable garden at home, so I was uh, spot watering last night, and I'm thinking as I'm watering, I got to get more straw down. And so uh, I'm not, a, you know, having to water all the time. You know, now my cucumbers are up sizable enough to where that light layer of straw I had at their base, that one-inch layer, now I'm going to bump that up to more like a four-inch layer around my cucumber plants. So when, when it does rain or when I do water, that moisture is not leaving the ground after one hot day. 
Yeah, your your yard sounds more advanced than mine. I think definitely um, as you start converting to native plants, I mean, everyone tells you it's, it's less work and less water, but there is pretty significant input of labor in the establishment phase of any right. garden bed. But um, yeah, you know, you kind of have to know what your plant looks like and what weeds look like. And there's a fair amount of weeding um, unless you are a pretty heavy sower or you put in a lot of plugs. So, you know, there, it's not a it's not a work-free yard, uh, especially in the beginning, but it definitely can get to a place where it requires a lot less maintenance. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I'm, I'm talking like, dude, you've lived there for 25 plus years. Yeah, your yard should have been becoming less and less work versus just starting out you're right it, and that you know people come over and go oh i love your backyard and i have to remind them it's 25 years in the making you know and and plus yeah. a garden's never done uh you know it's like uh, it's just never done you know you're always out there tinkering with it and doing things and and whatnot and and so ray this being the fastest hour in radio i got to take a break here and when we come back i want to talk about um you know some of your native some of your favorite native plants favorite uh, pollinators and uh, that way we can get people to just put down you know your top 10 pollinator plants that type of thing so you heard it here first from ray saying you got to get this plant in your garden and here's why <laughs> <laughs> so ray i'll keep you on the line and we'll have about oh a few minute break here and then we come back let's talk plants all right sounds good all right thanks ray all right, folks, you're listening to How's It Growing here on KZUM Lincoln. I'm Bob H. with the Nebraska State Water Arboretum, joined by Ray Powers. Ray is with the uh, Xerce Society and uh, NRCS. Enjoying the conversation with Ray. You can give us a call if you want, 402-474-5086. If you want to be a part of the conversation or if you have any questions on these native plants, we'd love to hear from you. Till then, I'll take a quick break and be back right after this. Oh, a little bridge music from the derailers. I love that band. When's the next time they're coming to Lincoln? Boy, great music lined up for this week in Lincoln. Hopefully you have plans to catch some of that stuff. And, uh, man, we've, we've just been so busy. It's been hard. Missed jazz in June again last night. Darn it, because we had stuff going on. And tonight we got stuff going on. It's just hard. There's so much music happening in Lincoln right now, Ray. I tell you what, we're big fans of music, though. So, uh, so it's either gardening or music, one of the two for this cat. But <laughs> we got lots, lots of stuff going on in life right now. But anyway, uh, Ray Powers joining me today with the Xerces Society. We're talking National Pollinator Week taking place right here, right now. And again, I want to invite you folks to join me on a nature walk this Saturday from 9 till noon. 9 a.m. will be at Pioneers Park Nature Center. At 10, we'll be at Beatty Elementary. And then 11, we'll be at the Assurity uh, Life Building there at 21st and P. I don't know if you're familiar, if you can picture, Ray, in your mind, the Assurity Building down there by uh, Union Plaza. You know where no, I'm at? No, I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's a big life insurance building, huge building, and they did a lot of landscaping. It's kind of your, not your, it's your atypical conventional landscape where it's just lawn, lawn, okay. lawn. Assurity has done, I mean, the whole thing is landscape. I don't think there's any turf on it, so they don't have to do any mowing. And lots of native plants are included in there. They have non-natives too, but I think that's the kind of the moral of the story where I brought it up is, you know, we're not saying you have to go 100% native, but just do more of it. And, uh, you know, keep adding it every year because your garden is never done. And do your part to shore up our, our biodiversity by being ecologically minded when you do garden. And I think that that is the first thing you need to do. And so, Ray, I know you have some some favorite plants out there that uh, that maybe you've had for years, maybe some new ones you've put in, or you're just like, when you see this thing in bloom or all the pollinators on it, you're probably thinking, why aren't more people planting this? So let's talk about some of those plants, some of your faves out there that... Uh, well, maybe maybe we'll go. Do you want to go by like by season, like your, some of your favorite <laughs> spring pollinators versus summer versus fall? Sure, we can do that. And I don't I don't know why I always throw this question in because it's so hard for me. Like I would love to know your favorite native plant, Bob. Do you have an all time favorite plant for Nebraska? 
You know, I don't, yeah, you're right. It's like pick, picking your favorite kid, right? It's like, no, I don't know if it's... And, and I remember uh, uh, Gladys Jurink, I asked her that question once on the radio, and she's like, well, whatever's blooming at the time. And I'm like, oh, man, come on, Alice. You, Gladys, you gotta, you got to give me more than that. You know, whatever's blooming at the time. But it's kind of true. Uh, well, you know, uh, you know, I do have some favorites, and it could be even favorite groups of plants, you know, versus an actual yeah. plant, you know. Um, I'm a big fan of the bee balms. I'm a big fan of the gay feathers. I'm a big fan of the penstemons in spring. Um, oh, you yeah. know, that group of plants, the spider warts, I'm a big fan of, and they're, and they bloom in the spring, uh, and, and still kind of blooming now here at the first day of summer. And, um, yeah. And then fall, I'm, I'm a huge fan of goldenrod and, uh, asters and, uh, you know, ironweed. And so, yeah, I, I, I kind of tend to look at it as groups rather than individuals. <laughs> nice. Very nice. But yeah. That's sort of a nice way to get a bunch of plants in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause you could say, okay, penstemons. Oh my word. I think there's like a hundred and some penstemons oh. native to North America. So just if you try yeah. to collect a bunch of penstemons, you, you'll never be done. And uh, so, so you can become a plant collector, if you will, folks. And, you know, people like to collect stamps. I, I, I say become a plant collector. The heck with the stamp collection. You'll be, you'll be much better off uh, collecting plants and adding to it every year. So, so what's, what in spring, when it's in bloom, does Ray say, oh, man, welcome back. I missed you because I hate winter. I shouldn't say hate winter, but, you know. <laughs> Well, let's see. I've been really impressed with marble seed oh. in my yard. Um, I was just surprised that it took off here in Lincoln with such clay soils. And I do believe that one's a pretty early bloomer. It was blooming a couple weeks ago, so mm. not super early. Where did you um, get that? One that I've just been, yeah, I've been, oh, let's see. I think I got that from, from Kay Codis. Okay. Legacy. I was going to say that had yeah. Kay written all over it. Um, okay, yeah, and, and that bringing that up, Ray, reminds me, uh, folks, uh, three great sources, and we weren't able to say this a decade ago or maybe more, um, right. but, but there's Prairie Legacy. You can type that in, look that up online. Uh, the wonderful Dr. Kay Kodas, and I love saying doctor because she does have a Ph.D. Kay's a busy yeah, person. Awesome. She does lots of great stuff. Uh, but she also uh, offers plants, offers seed, local ecotype seeds. So the seed and the plants that she produces are from local prairies. And yes. nobody else can claim that right now except for Prairie Legacy. So remember that. Write it down. Look them up. Another one is Midwest Natives. And they do great work. And anybody who does native plants uh, hopefully knows about Midwest Natives. And if not, you're hearing yes. it here. Um, that's a great resource and a great source for you to get plants, um, as well as the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. We've been planting Nebraska for 40-plus years, and, man, that's all we did for many moons. And thankfully, it's, people are starting to catch up to us and say, okay, native plants, yeah, that's a good thing. So the Statewide Arboretum, and we're actually having a sale this Friday from 1230 till 430. So, you know, if you want to plant uh, in summer, because that's usually a question people do, is it too late to plant? Well, <laughs> no, it's not. Why? Because you can water and you have to establish yeah. these things. And I'm keeping these little tiny plants alive in pots, I think, uh, daily, even during the heat of summer. I think you can keep them alive when you plant them in your landscape, just like I have to in these little pots. You just have to kind of be married to your landscape a little bit. And don't forget about your little babies and get out there and say, oh, wait. It was 100 degrees today with 100% humidity. I better go out there and, and check and see if they need a drink. And it's as simple as that. And uh, it, it's not complicated. It's just, do you have the, uh, the wherewithal to do it? So three great sources there. There's also great mail order uh, companies. Uh, my go-to for, for many, many decades has been Prairie Moon Nursery up in Minnesota. They're close to us, so they got great, uh, great product. You can order bare root or seed. So there's no excuse anymore. You can find native plants. They're out there for you. Definitely. Um, and I will say the Prairie Moon website is also great for learning about native plants. So, you know, if we mentioned something on here today, um, you can certainly Google it. But going to the Prairie Moon website, too, they'll have a whole list of attributes for that plant species and a range map and a couple paragraphs about it. Um, so that is a really good resource. 
I'm glad you mentioned that. You're right. It, it becomes like you type in a plant, Prairie Moon site comes up, right? One of the first usually. Yeah. Because they've been in business so long. And what's cool about Prairie Moon is they work with cooperators. They don't grow all this stuff on their property there in southwestern Minnesota. Winona, Minnesota. Anyway, uh, they de- they have people that grow this on their property. It could be a cooperator in Pennsylvania, Indiana, Iowa, Nebraska, all over the country, they have over a hundred different people that contribute seed to them. So then if you're ordering seed from Lincoln, Nebraska, they're picking out a seed that came close to your area rather than maybe some of the same species from upstate New York, right? So they're working with your locality, trying to match up the seed source with your area. And I think that's important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, okay, Ray, um, all right, so we're in the spring. Marble seed, what the heck? Yeah. Okay, marble seed, uh, I'm trying to think. Is that Bicknellia? Uh, what is the scientific name of that sticker no, it's again? No, Osmodium. It used to be mall, and now I think it's Baharian. Osmodium? <laughs> Osmodium, is that right? Okay. Osmodium, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that is an... Yeah, a, why did you pick that plant? Um, I love the seed. It's got a hard um, white seed that, I mean, it kind of looks like a marble. It's a little bit shiny. Um, When I've seen it in the wild, it's typically in sandier spots. So I kind of was like, well, give it a try. (laughs) Um, And I was, you know, happy to to find it flourishing here in our clay soil. So I just had to mention that one. That's cool. Um, Some some other early springs that I really love are, are native onions. Um, oh, the onions, yeah. Like wild onion, prairie onion. Um, I've got some of those going in my yard, on, and I don't have enough yet that I will dig them up and eat them, but that is an option if you get a really healthy population. So that's kind of fun and a, a way to sort of bring home some other senses into your garden. Um, the, the leaves, you know, which are the long, slender, like regular onion that you have in your garden, although much smaller, mm-hmm. um, they do have that sort of oniony smell. Um, and those are great for pollinators. Very early blooming. They're already setting seed in my yard. Um, Too cool. Baptisia is probably another oh, all-time yeah. favorite, but also early favorite. So our indigos and our false indigos. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. I love all of them. <laughs> I agree that uh, the, the dwarf blue indigo, remember that name, people. Type it in, Google it, Baptisia minor. And Baptisia that dwarf blue indigo, if you're after a cool plant and that it will outlive you, you get it established. And I call it the peony of the prairie because it lives so darn long in the landscape. It's so easy, but you have to be patient. It takes several years to really mature and come into its own, but it should be in every garden because it's so easy. And a lot of people like to plant next to their foundation, little meatball shrubs. Well, get rid of the little meatball spirea and plant a Baptisia minor because it's going to give you the kind of that same... Uh, rounded uh, two by two to two and a half by two and a half, whatever foot, uh, blue green, almost uh, pea like leaves, and then it gets these blue spikes in the spring that the bumblebees go crazy for, and followed by some really showy seed heads. So it's just got a lot to offer and a robust root system. That if you've ever tried to move one, you'll know what I mean. Once you plant it. <laughs> Keep it there. Don't try to move it because, uh, woo, it's 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 a beast to try to move. <laughs> so. Oh, awesome! I love that tip. Take out your, <laughs> take out your spireas and put in a baptisia. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the little meatballs everybody loves up next to their foundation. Everybody's afraid to go yeah. any taller than two meatballs. feet. <laughs> yeah, and and they're. Uh, yeah, and it's just a, a super cool plant. It has has so much to offer um, for for us for its beauty, but also for uh, nature and it's it, it, the ecological services it provide. Plus, that plant only grows in three states in the world. So, do you want something just for posterity? I say plant dwarf blue indigo in your garden because it's so rare in nature. Um, like, I. I, th- I think there's like one record in Nebraska in the south south central part of the state. Otherwise, you have to go down to uh, Coronado Heights in uh, uh, north central Kansas and near the little town of Lindsberg, the Swedish capital uh-huh. of Kansas. So think of Salina, that area south of York. Yeah. That's the most I've ever seen in the world. And not that I've been all over the place, but uh, I was sent there by my old boss. He said, make sure you check out Coronado Heights. Well, I timed it right. I remember the battery on my camera was dead. So here I am amongst hundreds and hundreds of these things in full bloom. 
and I'm all by myself, so there's nobody to share it with, like going, wow, check this out, right? So it's kind of like I'm walking around with no camera, and I'm like, people, you got to see this, because it wasn't the only yeah. thing blooming, right? There was the, uh, oh, this little evening primrose, the Calilophus that was blooming, the oh, pretty yellow yeah. at the same time. I swear everywhere I walked was a, another rock garden look. So it really, it, all these plants are growing in amongst rocks, the, the, the dark colored, rust colored rocks, you know, that have a lot of iron in them. Um, yeah. I, I'm like, people would pay $100,000 for a rock garden that looked like this to have somebody come in and put the rocks and all that. But nature created it all for us. <laughs> okay, all so right. I'm getting off well. on a tangent there. That's all right. I might I might have to email you for that location because I'm headed south here soon. So. Oh, very good, very good. Yeah, feel free to yeah. do that. You'll be yeah. you'll be glad you did. When I asked the lady in town in Lindsberg at this little gift shop, she kind of looked at me puzzled. You're going there, she says. Well, all people go there for anymore is to neck, as she put it, neck and make out. And I'm like, well, I'm going to look at wildflowers, ma'am. I I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there to do that. Uh, and it was a hot day, I think, if I remember right. But anyway, yeah. And then so now, now we're bleeding into summer, Ray. And, uh, you know, with our first full day of summer, um, what do you look forward to blooming in your summer prairie garden? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our penstemons, which are early bloomers. Um, but mine right now are still blooming in my yard. I think it's white penstemon mm -hmm. is the one that's really going right now. And I... I love the penstemons, um, but one of my favorite things about them is that bumblebees really like them, and the flower is sort of a deep enough cup shape that when you watch them go into the flower, you see their little back legs yes. sort of flailing around as they try to push themselves in the flower, and right. it's just their little bumblebee butts, and it's just the best. I just love watching bumblebees forage on penstemon because it's so entertaining. <laughs> no doubt. And, and what, what gets me when you see them working over, say you have a patch of flowers and they'll, they'll kind of go inside one and then back out and then buzz around and go in another one. It makes me wonder, do they get confused and say, go, wait, wait a minute, dude, I already visited that one. How do they know which one? <laughs> is, it, is it a random picking? You know what I mean? Where they're, they're like going, oh, I've already been in that one or just kind of, well, I'll check this quick and then I'll check that one quick and then I'll check that one. Another thing that's always puzzled me is, okay, so they'll maybe you're watching them for a while and they're hanging out at that little patch of penstemons for like a minute and then they zzzz, fly away and you're like going, well, why bother looking for another flower when you've got all this stuff right in front of you? Or did you hit all the nectar that was available right then and there? Or do the bees just know better saying, you know, I'm going to visit this for a while then I'm going to go to another patch of flowers and visit those. Diversity is key. Did you always often wonder that, Ray, when, when they're out there foraging? <laughs> yeah, Maybe I'm just are, weird that way. Great questions, Bob. <laughs> I don't know that we know the answers to, especially in that sort of short temporal time of, you know, like forage on one flower, you know, visiting the next. We do know that flowers give out cues um, when they are full of nectar or when they're waning on nectar, you know, um, mm. whether those are scent cues or visual cues. So mm -hmm. there are some, you know, some sort of, I think of those as sort of longer through time, you know, through the entire bloom of the plant or throughout the day, as opposed to, you know, just been visited. I don't know. Um, yeah, right. I, yeah. There's another study for you people. And then you also see those flowers that insects clamor over, meaning you'll see bumblebees, you'll see, well, we'll say honeybees, you'll see other native bees, you'll see wasps, you'll see flies, yeah. everybody trying to get in on the picture and, and goldenrod and asters come to mind for that where everybody's kind of clamoring. And I think us humans kind of say, well, they're doing that because they know what's coming. You better get some food in you because winter's right around the corner. I beg to differ. I think they're hitting those plants because those plants have a lot of nectar and pollen to offer them. And uh, also in that nectar, it probably has some underlying uh, medicinal benefits for the insect um, that, uh, that helps with their immune system. Um, because a lot of the plants that I see bees clamoring over have medicinal benefits for us humans. So why wouldn't they have a medicinal benefit for the bees? And believe it or not, people, goldenrods have medicinal benefits. It's powerful medicine. Look it up. Asters have medicine. Uh, gay feathers, as you were talking, Rage, don't overthink the, the native plant. If you put in a native plant, it's going to be used by something. Well, if you talk to Native Americans 150 years ago, every plant had a use, uh, whether it was ceremony, 
foodstuff or medicine, every plant had a use uh, of the native plants that we had here. So to me, it's just kind of interesting to think about and and fun to, to, to yeah. witness and, and whatnot. Um, but again, I'm getting off on a tangent. So, so Ray, okay, uh, Pinstamins, uh, give me give me a heat of the summer bloomer that you love. I love rattlesnake master. Ah, I think yeah. it's just so wacky. <laughs> um, the the flower and seed head are so unusual, as well as the leaf. You know, it almost has a yucca like leaf, um, but it just attracts huge numbers of of bees and solitary wasps. Um, all kinds of pollinators. So definitely one of those plants I feel like is, is always covered in, in insects. Plus it's just got a cool name, people. Rattlesnake Master. It's yeah. like, what? <laughs> what kind of plant is that? Well, Google it and look it up if you're not familiar with it. And it combines so well with another one of my summer favorite bloomers is the gay feathers or the liatris. Um, yes. Man, I've seen pictures online where they, they basically just had this landscape filled with, uh, it had... Uh, the rattlesnake master with the gay feather, and then they also had a hyssop in there, that the blue giant hyssop. Those oh, three, yeah. talk about a delicious combination, I mean to tell you. And then then the bees are going to be kind of shrugging their shoulders going, dude, they're all good. Which one do I hit? Well, how about I just hit them all, <laughs> right? So rattlesnake master, great choice. And uh, I have a friend out in uh, the panhandle that uh, accidentally got bit by a rattlesnake. It was a little baby rattlesnake, a one-footer, but those can be more dangerous than the adults because they really pack in a lot of venom. She will not plant a rattlesnake master (laughs) at her home (laughs) simply because of the name, that it has rattlesnake in it. She hates them that much. But I thought, well, wait a minute, though. I think Rattlesnake Master had a history of, uh, you know, anti-venom or something. It had uses uh, where maybe it was a tea made out of it. I can't remember, but I'm not saying you want to grow that just to overcome your rattlesnakes. But still, plant it because it's cool. Plant it because it's long-lived. Okay, then, Ray, we're starting to run out of time in this fastest hour. What about fall? What What is a couple of your favorite uh, fall wildflowers that you can't live without? Well, I would I would challenge any native plant gardener to adopt some native thistles in their landscape, <laughs> which can require a little bit of a conversation with your neighbors when they take yes. the noxious weed. But man, that's an education point for your neighbors, definitely. And it's our native thistles are beautiful. They've got huge blooms, and they just attract bees and butterflies and all kinds of insects. Um, they're visually interesting. Um, Paul thistles got that you know really brilliant purple pink purple flower uh that's gorgeous and that is one that will just sort of <clears throat> re-sprout and come back up it's a biennial but um, it'll kind of stick around your landscape and move into spots if you let it so it's a good one to fill in spots too cool and it is uh, am i assuming i'm assuming you're talking about there's one out there a native thistle called tall thistle is that the one you're yes. kind of referring to yeah and of yeah. course as the name implies yeah it's tall it's going to get as tall as you if not taller uh, and uh and how do you know the native thistles from a from an, an invasive one it seems to me that the native ones ray you can you can flip over a leaf and be careful because they're spiny but you can flip over the leaf and if it's a, a creamy white color on the back side of that leaf I can assume it's native, right? Yeah, pretty much all of our native thistles have some kind of um, hairs on the underside of the leaf that are going to make them look uh, silvery or have a white cast um, and appear more white than the upper side of the leaf or the same white as the upper side of the leaf. Um, All of our non-native noxious thistles lack those hairs on the underside um, and appear green, you know, pretty green on the underside. I think Canada thistle does have a a slight white tone on the underside, but it's not nearly as white as all of our natives. Gotcha, gotcha. And you could just type in tall thistle uh, um, attributes or tall thistle, you know, and and somebody's going to point that out and somebody's going to have a picture of that to show you that. But they're all over down in Wilderness Park, and it depends on the year. Some years I see, you know, just swaths of them. Other years you go back a year later and, well, where do those tall thistle go? Well, that's what, like you were saying, Ray, it's a biennial. So the first year it just grows a rosette of leaves, and then the second year it sends up that, that flowering stalk up above that basal rosette. 
So you can kind of have on and off years. And if you have a lot of plants in your garden, you might get a thistle here and there, right, Ray? It's not versus a bunch of open ground. Yeah, you're probably going to get a lot of thistles because it's going to seed around on that open ground. But if you pack it with plants, you might get one yeah. here and there, right? Is that kind of how you overcome those so-called aggressives? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, if you've got a lot of disturbance in open ground, you know, it'll certainly fill in those spots. But in a more mature garden, it's not going to be too unruly. Too cool. Yeah, and another... Which I think uh, is a nice characteristic uh, <laughs> of plants because, yeah, I'm like you, Bob, kind of lazy. So when they come back on their own in a new spot, I love that. You're kind of like, thanks for creating that garden combination I didn't think about. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, and they'll tend to... These plants will kind of tend to reseed and maybe grow in an area that's part shade or sh- more shady, and the plant does great. Well, wait a minute. The tag said it wants full sun. How is it growing so well in that part shade? Well, because nature planted it there. If you would have planted it there, it'd probably be struggling. But if nature plants it there, he's like, I got this. No worries. Yeah, I got to be tolerant of some moving around. <laughs> well, Ray, uh, we're out of time here today on How's It Growing. I greatly appreciate your time and inspiration during this National Pollinator Week. Um, if people want to contact you, can they contact you uh, for information, inspiration, or maybe they know a landowner uh, that, that needs to get in touch with you to d- develop a plan for their pollinator landscape? Do you, do you help landowners with that? Yep. Yep. That's a huge part of what I do for NRCS, and I'm always happy to, I'm happy to talk to anyone. Um, my contact info can be found on nurseries.org if you just search for me or look for Nebraska. That is awesome. Well, Ray, I appreciate your time. Hopefully I will see you some point here in the near future. It's been too while. It's been since COVID country that I've been able to see you. I know. You. I haven't even bumped I'm into you. at a. over to Beatty this weekend. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I'd love to see you there because if you haven't seen Beatty, you'd be, you'll be glad you did. You'd need to check it out. And for me, it's a great place to say every school in Lincoln should be doing what Beatty's doing. So hope yeah, to see you absolutely. there. Absolutely. All right, Ray, you take care. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Bob. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that's Ray Powers with the Xerces Society. Again, you can just type in Nebraska Xerces and you'll get Ray or you can get Katie or Jennifer. Um, They couldn't make it on the show today, but I appreciate Ray's time. And uh, you folks have a great week. Hopefully I'll see you Saturday at the Nature Hike. And uh, just go to plantnebraska.org under the calendar event if you forget where to go. Uh, See you at 9 a.m. out at Pioneers Park Nature Center Prairie Building, and we'll check it out. Until then, you have a great week. Bye.